0: You're listening to a live recorded teaching from the Sunday Gathering at the Heights Church in Denver, Colorado. We hope that this teaching is an encouragement to you. To find out more about the Heights Church, visit Heightsdenver.com. All right, amen. Thank you, Olivia. You guys give it up for her? Yeah. Hey, um, I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here at the Heights, and uh, in in case we haven't met, I'm really glad you're here this morning. We're packed in here. This is a lot of fun. There's no elbow room here, so you can fight with your neighbor over who gets the armrest. Uh, But if today is your first day, uh, number one, we're really glad that you're here. I think this is the perfect Sunday uh, for you to start out here at the Heights. Uh, This year for us, 2024, is the year of uh, what we're calling the year of prayer. And uh, our tagline for this whole year, does anybody know it? What's our tagline for the year? Pray every day. Pray every day. That's the practice, right? We did not do a good job in our first sermon series. (laughs) 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 Woo! We would call it a win if everyone who called the Heights home... Uh, developed a rhythm of praying every day. We have a bunch of resources. In fact, you can go to theheightsdenvercom forward slash pray, and you can see all of the prayer resources there. We would love for you to jump in. Um, uh, we're trying to develop a, a rhythm of daily dependence on God through prayer. We, uh, that said, today's the if it, today is your first day. The reason why this is a great first day for you is because we're, we're starting a brand new sermon series. Corbin just said this called Revive Your Work and uh, this series is keying in on the postures and the practices of revival. Stories of revival, really stories of God meeting with His people in the Old Testament. Uh, for for all of the Bible, most of the Bible, and most of church history, um, uh, the people of God uh, often have the cyclical relationship. Uh, and, and what what we see is like there's oftentimes seasons of decline followed by seasons of revival for God's. People, and often the determining factor, the determining factor which moves the needle on what happens with the people of God is a small remnant, a small group of people who decide that they want to seek God for a fresh outpouring of his power and his work in their generation. That's it. It's a few people who say, We want you, God. We want you. That's the focus. And so, as I mentioned, we're calling this series "Revive Your Work." And out of you guys know how creative we are, out of immense creativity, um, this this line "Revive Your Work" came straight out of Habakkuk chapter three, verse two. Here, here's what Habakkuk three two says: "This is a prayer, Lord. I have heard the report about you, Lord. I stand in all of your deeds. Revive your work in these days." Make it known in these years. And church family, that's our prayer for this series. That's what we're begging God to do. That's what we're after. Uh, there's a, a, an American theologian and thinker named Jonathan Edwards, and he actually wrote this definition of revival. This is what we're, how we're going to define revival, an acceleration or intensification of the work of God. Listen, I, I don't know about you. like I don't know what you came in here with, what, like, what you're after in life. Um, but, but this is what I want to see. I wanna see and experience an acceleration and intensification of the work of God right here around us and among us. So welcome to church and welcome to Revive Your Work sermon series. Uh, We're gonna be focusing again on the postures and the practices of revival in the Old Testament. We wanna see God revive his work among our church, our city, and our nation. So over the course of this series, Uh, We're going to be studying six instances, six stories uh, in the Old Testament, and we're going to see places where God encountered his people, he met with his people in a really powerful way, and we're going to pay attention to what they were prioritizing for that to happen, okay? And so what we got, we're going to examine six key ingredients to the stew, if you will, of revival, the acceleration of God's work, and here they are, this is what we're going to do starting today, we're going to talk about the first ingredient is holiness, God uh, God creating in us a holy people, we want to be a people committed to holy living, second is consecration, this is a single-hearted devotion to God alone over anything else, third is faith, we're going to raise the level of our expectation of what's possible in life with God, Uh, Number four is resolve. This is a a spirit of perseverance. Um, I I once heard, um, I kind of grew up in a rural context and I heard someone who had bird dogs refer to one of his hunting dogs and he would say this, that dog ain't got no quit in him. Have you guys ever heard that phrase? (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. My my country's showing a little bit. He ain't got no quit in him and that's the type of resolve that we want to have as the people of God that we won't quit we won't quit we've resolved number five is dependence Uh, a a heart posture of neediness towards God and then finally rounding out the series is humility how low can you go let's stay low together we aren't manipulating the hand of God in any way for something that we want him to do but rather we're humbly looking at the simple practices of God's people which oftentimes is a softening and a preparation of their own heart of something God wants to do anyways. So we want to prioritize these key ingredients. We want to simply position ourselves for a fresh outpouring of the work of the Spirit of God through learning these prayers, these practices and these postures that stand at the heart of the scripture. Are you guys in for that? I can't tell if you guys want that or not. So, to accompany the series, uh, just one more thing. Accompany the series, we have a few things uh, that we uh, are going to practice as a church. Did you guys get that handout on the way in, that Lenten guide? Um, You guys have probably already looked at it, but the two things that we're going to be doing as a church family uh, is, is first of all, we're going to be continuing to pray every day. We're just going to bring some structure to some of the things that we're asking you to pray that we sync up uh, through this guide and be praying the same things for the next six weeks uh, as a church, if you're uh, from like a super liturgical background, you're like, well, well, Lenten started like four days ago, and to that I would say, you're right, and I'm sorry, and we're trying to keep you on your toes anyways, all right? So we want to sync up and be praying the same things over the next uh, six weeks to prepare for Easter, but the second thing we're going to do is we're going to fast for 40 days. You guys ready for that? I'm just kidding. We're not going to fast completely for days. We're going to fast for 40 days, but not every day of those 40 days. What we want to do is um, we want to fast from food on Wednesday's breakfast and lunch, okay? So you eat dinner Tuesday night, and then you eat dinner again Wednesday night. That's what we're aiming for. Uh, And here's why. I want to give you the why behind that, because I think that sounds like a religious practice. But here's the why. John Piper once said this. He wrote this. Fasting is a physical exclamation point at the end of our pleas to God. It's showing God this is really what we want, God. He goes on to say this. We are putting in fasting, we are putting our stomachs where our heart is to give added intensity and expressiveness to our ache for Jesus. We fast to express our longing and our ache for the implications of Jesus' power in the present moment that isn't completely realized. So we want to put an exclamation point on our pleas to Jesus through our fasting. In other words, we are physically aching and longing and begging for God to pour out revival on us. In fact, we're hungry for it. We're so hungry for it that we're going to abstain from a couple meals to show God how hungry we are. Now, I want to give one quick word of caution. This is also on the guide. Um, If you felt dread during that moment, you're like, ah, It's probably for you, okay? That's probably for you. If you felt like you didn't want to do it, that's probably good. That means you should probably do it, right? But um, if you maybe were needing a spiritual reason to to fast from food, uh, to feed maybe a historically or, I don't know, a a past unhealthy relationship to food or body image, um, we want you to to use a lot of wisdom and a lot of um, caution uh, and maybe work that out in, in the context of your community group of whether that should be the practice for you. And maybe you should sub that practice for something um, that, would, that would do the same thing in your life. And so if that's your exact situation, then you know you fall into that category and you shouldn't fast from food. All right, so the Lenten Guide and fasting. Let's be expectant. All right, are you guys ready to get your nose in the scriptures? Me too, me too. All right, um, holiness is our is our ingredient for this morning. Our big idea is this if we want to see God revive His work, we must be a holy people. We must be a holy people. Let's open our Bibles back to Genesis 35. And as you do that, I want to just really briefly catch you up because we're jumping right in the middle of this big, long, 50 chapter book uh on what's happening if you were to read the narrative of the bible from the beginning you'd read even these first few books you'd quickly realize that the people of god are kind of a mess they're all over the place all the time they're up and down and they're back and they're forth and there's moments of these like these legendary moments of obedience where it's like we are resolved to obey and then there's these moments of monumental failure right after and total rebellion And so as we pick up right here in Genesis chapter 35, we're witnessing one of those moments, one of those moments of God's people coming out of their total mess. They're in the trough of their mess and they're coming out of it into chapter 35. In fact, the chapter before this, you can go back and read it later, chapter 34, God isn't mentioned one time. He's just totally absent from what they're doing because it is a total mess. God is actually not mentioned at all. The chapter's full of perversion and lust and murder and deceit and just plain ugliness. It sounds like a TV series. But in verse 1 of 35, the first verse of this chapter is God initiating change for his people, for Jacob and his people. So, let's look at this together. Verse 1, Genesis 35 says, God said to Jacob, Get up. Go to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Notice how Jacob responds in verse 2 here. He says, so Jacob said to his family and all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves and change your clothes. We must get up and go to Bethel. I will build an altar there to the God who answered me in my day of distress He has been with me everywhere I have gone. You see, the people of God in the preceding chapters had lost their vision of who God is. They'd become distracted by their own foolishness and in fact, they'd fallen into the trap of their own foolishness and rebellion. And notice God's very first words to Jacob. Can you guys say those first two words in verse one? Put verse one back up there. What does he say? Get up. Get up get up. You're laying in this mess. It's time to get up. It's more of like a, hey, hey remember me. Remember the, the God of your people, the God of your fathers, but he did it in a less condescending way than I just did it. I have so much better for you than the mess that you've subjected yourself to. Let's get you out of here. And notice Jacob's response. It's immediate and it's full. That's obedience. Obedience is immediate and it's full. There's no half-hearted, half-hearted obedience is not obedience. And immediate obedience isn't obedience. It's full and immediate. He heard the voice of God and he simply obeyed, period. No questions asked. He just did it. Jacob literally went to his family who would have been a sizable group of people at this time and he and look at verse two look how radical this is he says get rid of the foreign gods that are among you purify yourselves change your clothes we must get up and go to Bethel the three things that Jacob had his he personally did and the people of God did was they they purged their foreign gods literally ridding themselves of the foreign gods that they possessed. These are little sketched images that they'd had. These are little trinkets and figures that they'd picked up by living among the people in Shechem as they rebelled, continued to rebel further and further and further from God. He says, let's rid those things. We're going to purge those things. He also said, second, you're going to purify ourselves and change our clothes. These are, they physically took a bath. That's literally what happened here, was they actually washed themselves and they put on new clothes. You know what that's called? You know what this is a symbol of for the people of God? This is a, a symbol of repentance. This is a symbol of we're going a different way. We're, we're going to live into the reality and the identity that's actually true about us and reject the, this, this reality that we've been living in. This is repenting and turning from one thing into another. It's symbolism for repentance. In fact, this exact concept is what uh, in the, if, you, if you fast forward to the New Testament the Apostle Paul who wrote a great part of the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 4 he said this. In fact, most scholars think that as Paul writes this line, he has Genesis 35 in his head. He says, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life. And it's corrupt through deceitful desires. Put that off. Like we're taking that off. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So first in the way you're thinking. And put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The new self is created in the likeness of God. Marked by true righteousness and true holiness. This is the path. To becoming holy this is what the people of God in Genesis 35 were doing in fact a few books later God would say this in Leviticus chapter 19 riveting book by the way if you haven't read Leviticus Leviticus 19 too, says be holy because I the Lord your God am holy we talked a lot about God being holy just a few weeks ago I'm not going to reteach that That's the command of His people. This is the pathway to holiness is through repentance and action in our lives. In fact, to give a quick definition of holy, this word holy, which is a really religious word, it it means to be set apart. It's It's to be set apart for a specific purpose. It's God making you into who you actually are for a specific purpose. And so what we see happening here is repentance and action Jacob and his crew didn't just put their foreign gods away and take a bath. They, they, this was so much bigger than that. This was them entering onto a new trajectory of life. In fact, if you look further in verse four, this is what how this narrative continues. It says, "Then." They gave Jacob all their foreign gods, so they come and they divulge all their little foreign gods that they had been bowing their lives to and rubbing as a lucky charm in hopes that it might change their reality. They bring them to Jacob and their earrings, and Jacob hid them under the oak near Shechem. I love that little description. There's some oak near Shechem where there's a bunch of stuff buried, probably still. You got to love Jacob here, though. Because notice this, he, he says, okay, bring me your gods, bring me all the foreign gods, and then, he, then they, it's like they're, they're packed and they're ready to go to Bethel, and they're, they're like lined up, and he's like, whoa, 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 the earrings too, those can't go with us, the earrings too, because we didn't even hear about the earrings a minute ago, the earrings too, all the foreign gods, including the ones that you like. Including the foreign gods that have become your pets. The ones that really have their hooks in you, those two. All of them. And while you're at it, those earrings have to go. We're gonna leave all that behind. None of it comes with us. Uh, just stop for a second. Like, what are those things for you? Like maybe you've you've taken the bath in the baptism trough. You've gotten the cool Jesus in my place t-shirt. But you're still wearing the earrings. There's still the things in your life that you have yet to leave behind. Those pet sins that are holding you back from who God actually has in mind for you to be. But we like them. And we're holding on to them. What are those for you this is a really significant moment for Jacob and God's people one commentator helps us to kind of understand how off track God's people had gotten in this moment he says this the earrings were not everyday jewelry they were these amulets this this word is uh, these were earrings ascribed to the foreign gods these were sort of like lucky charms this is what they were holding on their ears and these these Talismans, these were stones that were uh, believed to possess magic powers like witchcraft. Engraved with pagan symbols on them. And Jacob says, those aren't going with us. They're not going with us. In any case, I love this little humor. A rich cache of pagan idols and paraphernalia were unceremoniously buried under the oak tree in Shechem as God's people washed, purged, and reclothed, set for Bethel. Guys, this is a huge, this is actually a huge turning point here. God's people immediately and fully repented and went the way of new life. Look what happens next in verse 6. So Jacob and all who were with him came to Luz, this is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. And Jacob built an altar there and called it the place of El Bethel because it was there that God had revealed himself. That's what we're after to him when he was fleeing from his brother so he has history here god's revealed himself there before verse nine god appeared to jacob again after he returned from padan aram and he blessed him and he said to him your name is jacob but you will no longer be named jacob you will be israel so he named him israel What a solid day for Jacob, if you think about this. Think about it. He gets to bury a bunch of witchcraft paraphernalia under an oak tree in Shechem. He takes a bath. That's probably a big deal. That's probably the biggest deal, honestly. He puts on his new clothes, and then to top it all off, he gets a new name with a new identity. Like, that's a huge day. And I want to stop right there for, for just... For just a second I, I, I know christianity can feel super complicated sometimes uh, like the bible is this huge book with all this history and originally written in a different language and there's a lot of stuff going on but i, I don't want you to miss what sits at the heart of it right here because it's in this passage and jacob's a living breathing example of what hap- of what the bible's all about god called jacob by name Jacob didn't want God. He was was off with everyone living it up in Shechem, living like a pagan, okay? He didn't want God, but God came to him, and God called him, and Jacob simply responded. That's what Jacob did. He didn't earn it. Like He didn't come and be like, I I need to clean myself up first and then go to God. No, no, no. God came to him first, and then he got cleaned up. Like I, I don't want you to miss that. He recognized that even if he didn't see the full picture, that God was bigger and better and just more than him. He recognized that God knew some stuff that he probably didn't, and it would be better that he obeyed than continuing to live in this pagan way of life. He didn't make himself off awesome. He just simply turned away from the stuff that God told him to turn away from and give his life that, that, that he, he thought was would bring him joy. That, that at the end of the day, would made him miserable. Like that's actually what was going on here. And I think for some of us in this room, we're, we're wrestling with that right now. Like we're on that, we're at the tipping point right now. We're caught between things that we love. And we have been thinking for 5, 10, 15, 20 years that will give us what we're looking for in life. And yet we're still in the same place. If we're honest, they just keep letting us down. In fact, the the fact that you're here this morning, even if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, is a big deal. Because one, it means that you're at least open to God and you're curious about what He's all about. And here's what I'd say. He wants to do for you what He did for Jacob. He wants you. He wants to help you turn away from the things in your life that are actually actually detrimental to your life the things that keep tripping you and wants to set you free and adopt you as his own and give you a new name in the same way he did for Jacob and the people of Israel like Jacob he wants to give you a new name and a new identity and he wants to set you on a new path on a going in a different direction maybe a, a way that you wouldn't have chosen but at the end of the day will be much better for you It may be a better way than where you're headed right now. In the rest of this passage, God draws near to his people. He tells them his name. He says, I am God Almighty. And he gives Jacob a vision for his life, a future that honestly I think all of us would want. He says this, a nation indeed, an assembly of nations will come from you. The kings will descend from you. And I will give you the land that I gave Abraham and Isaac, his dad and grandfather, and I will give the land to your future descendants. There's a promise here. So in response to that, Jacob builds a stone marker, as Olivia read earlier, and he makes an offering to God to remember what God had done, and that church family is what revival looks like. It's us encountering God, experiencing the outpouring of God in an accelerated, intensified way, like Jonathan Edwards says. But what, as we step back, what set that in motion? The people of God confessing, repenting, and entering on the pathway of holiness. That's what happened. That's what, that's what preceded it. Guys, like, God, I'm gonna pastor you for a minute god will not pour out his work of revival on an unholy people he won't do it he won't we will not taste and see and experience his reviving work unless we are willing to personally and corporately purge our lives and our hearts of the foreign gods of greed and sexual sin and gossip and apathy and drunkenness and envy and ultimately an idolatry of self. God is calling us to be a holy, set-apart people for a good purpose. That's the vision for us. That's what sits before us. The question is, are we willing to answer that call of God? Are you personally willing to answer that call of God? God's first words to Jacob were, get up. We're get up. Let's get some movement. Jacob didn't earn it. He received it. He realized Something that was already true about him, and what this process of holiness is, is us living into what's already true about us in the throne room of heaven that we've yet to realize on this side. That's what holiness is. It's this process of us becoming holy like God is holy. And, and here's here's the thing. Let me give you just a, a little like a little shot of theology, because some of you are going to be inclined to go out of here with a checklist, and you're like, "I got to do this, do 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 do, and then I'll be holy." Okay? Some of us want a checklist. We're like, give me a checklist so I know what to do. But that, the gospel of Jesus is actually something that's already been done and it's something that in our whole lives we're just learning to live into. That's it. In fact, this is it. Romans 3 says this. This is the good news of the gospel. Where it says we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Alone. I want to root you in this for just a minute, okay? So we don't get confused. So we don't get sideways. Okay? Romans 3 says the righteousness of God is It's through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Okay, It's not through works for all who believe. It's through faith for all who believe. Since there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're all starting on the same playing field. No one earned a thing. It's through faith in Jesus alone. And those people, verse 24, they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This word justified we need to pay attention to this for just a second. This means declared just. It means it, it, this is because of the work of Jesus on the cross in your faith in His work in your place. You're justified. Not because of what you've done. Not because of how good you are. Not because of knowing the right words to say, but because you've expressed specific faith in Jesus in your place. That's it. You're declared righteous in the throne room of God. Your guilt is covered by the innocent blood of Jesus. Praise God for that. Okay? But the other theological term that we need to kind of have a a, a filter for is a word called sanctification. And this is the process of us becoming holy. This, is, this word, uh, we'll define it like this. Sanctification is the progressive aspect of growing holiness in the Christian life. So it's this, it's this process, this pathway that we are on. The process of living into our new identity given to us through the righteousness of Jesus that we didn't earn. And that's the, that's the Christian gospel right there. It's... This is, the whole, this is what the whole thing's about, is growing into what's true about us in the throne room of heaven that we've yet to realize on this side. And that's what we need to see revival happen. If we want to see a unique outpouring of God on us, we need to be on the, on the pathway to holiness. Sanctification is the process, holiness is the, def, is the destination right? Like that's the process. We're heading towards a life marked by holiness. So, so let's get real. I want to get really practical with you guys right now, okay? Um, I know we've been all over the place. but I want to get practical. If we want revival, the first ingredient in the stew of revival is God's people pursuing holy living, personally and corporately as a whole, like the whole church. So what does this look like? Well, I want to start, I want to give you a list of some cheap imitations of holiness that are not holiness, okay? So some of us, we think holiness and our mind goes to something that's gonna be on this list. And this is our opportunity to say, that's not it. That's a cheap imitation. That's not the real thing, all right? You guys with me? Okay, this is, these are the knots. So first, holiness is not mere rule keeping, okay? This is legalism. This is a ditch called legalism, where we think if I keep the rules, I'm good. But let me just say this. Holiness is not less than obeying the scriptures either. So it's not only obeying, but it's also not less than it. It's not, it's not merely just rule keeping. Holiness is also not morality or niceness. This is, this is the pathway that some of us maybe grew up in or maybe are inclined to right now. It's like, just give me the rules. I'll make the A and I'll be holy. All right. It's not rule keeping. That's not holiness. That's legalism. Another cheap imitation uh, that's not holiness is generational imitation. Uh, while we admire those who have gone before us and we respect the people that, are, that have led before us and gone before us who have lived holy lives, holiness is not just imitating what they did. Holiness is personal heart change, okay? It's not just running their play. I want to live, what are the rules they lived by? How do I do that? That's holiness. That's a cheap imitation of holiness. There are no shortcuts to our sanctification by lifelessly imitating other people. It's also another cheap imitation is finding your true self, like living into who you believe the inner narrative in your heart is. Holiness is not learning to obey the authentic self inside of you to become whole and complete. Holiness is God's standard, not our own internal standard. It's not living into the authentic self. That's what our culture tells us. You need to be the the real you and then you'll be free. But the Bible says that there's a standard that we've all fallen short of. We literally just read this and we need help. And holiness is not thinking that we can earn our way there by obeying the inner voice. Number four, another cheap imitation is conforming to the world. This is on the whole opposite side of legalism. This is called a license. This says, well, if the work has already been done, I can live however I want to live, Jonathan, because I'm saved by grace through faith. I don't have to do anything. I'll just conform to the world. I'll do whatever I want to do. I once I heard a pastor say, uh, say this. He says, we'll never make progress in holiness if we are waiting for the world to throw us a party for our piety. Like we'll, we'll never take steps if we're waiting on our cues from the world. We won't. They're not going to be pumped about us. Many of us have mistakenly thought if if only I were a better Christian, everyone would appreciate me more. So therefore, since no one appreciates me, I'm going to live just the same as everybody else. And what we don't realize is that holiness, lack of holiness also comes at a cost and it's a life marked by foolishness so these are cheap imitations this is not what we're aiming for the cheap imitations leave us feeling exhausted and bitter and frustrated and lost and broken and bruised and battered and more importantly unchanged by the work of god totally unchanged So if that's not it, what does gospel holiness look like? What does this process actually look like for us? Well, great news. This probably isn't comprehensive. There's probably more to it than this. But I've I've got five things that holiness looks like in the Christian life. Five ways holiness looks like. Holiness looks first like the renewal of God's image in us. I'm going to explain to you what I mean by that. Colossians 3, we've we've already seen one passage where Paul talks like this. Colossians 3 in the New Testament says, put on the new self, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. This is the process of us being conformed back into God's original intent of who we were created to be back in Genesis chapter 2. The creation narrative was perfect. God created his people to be in perfect relationship to him. And the process of, us, of holiness is us returning back to a Genesis 2 post-fall through Jesus image of who God created us to be. To be image bearers in our world. It's the progressive growth towards who God created you to be. Second, holiness looks like a life marked by virtue instead of vice. Virtue instead of vice. This is, this is deep character change. This is the deep end of it, guys, right here. This is it. Virtue over vice. This is like seven sermons that I can't preach right now. There are many vices. There are many lists of vices in the New Testament. I've picked one. Galatians chapter 5 gives us one that we're probably more familiar with. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, a lot of relational strife in there, a lot of relational vices, drunkenness, carousing, or anything similar. If it looks like that, it's probably a vice. These are the vice, these are the traps that we fall into. Sexual sin. Relational sin and substance sin. They trap us, they ensnare us, and they keep us in the dark. We express ourselves sexually in a way that's outside the biblical picture of sexuality, whether that's pornography that's hidden in our lives, whether that's a a current affair. In a room this size, someone in here is having an affair whether that's relational strife, that we are addicted to gossip. Like, we are addicted to envy. And it destroys us. It's eating us alive inside. And God wants to free us from these things. Holiness is the prog- process of us admitting these vices, confessing them Fully and honestly and turning from them to live a different life it's not 10 years of struggling with something if you're struggling with something for 10 years it has you pinned it's not a struggle that fight's over but us on, confessing and on the path to holiness is us confessing, repenting and, and seeing life change happen through the, in the context of community it's leaving Shechem for Bethel it's allowing God to form the deepest parts of us into people who are marked by virtue, high character and integrity. The third way the holiness looks is holiness looks like a clean conscience. You're both justified in the throne room of God by the blood of Jesus. Your conscience is clean before God, but it also means that we live lives of integrity and create, that create personal. personally sensitive yet clean consciences. This is is us growing into realizing what's most true of us, that our conscience can be clean before God, but holy living allows us to reflect that conscience in our everyday life because we are constantly repenting of sin and dragging it into the light and allowing God to free us from the snares that it has around our legs. Holiness looks like a clean conscience. Fourth, holiness looks like obedience to God's commands. This is a want to, not a have to. Joyful obedience because we believe that God's way is better than our way, simply. We don't just believe it up in our heads, but we believe it down in our hearts. We truly believe it in our hearts, and it shapes the way we live, and it shapes our choices. It's a joy, not a duty to obey, because we see the vision of what's ahead of us, not the obligation that our gut tells us. And so it changes us. It, it changes the way we live and the decisions we make because we believe that God has something better. He's not trying to withhold something from us or keep something from us, but actually He has something better for us. And then the last way holiness looks in our lives is it looks like Christ-likeness. One of the primary, primary works of the Holy Spirit in our lives is a Romans 8 29 being conformed into the image of christ that's it it's this progressive process of us looking more and more like jesus the more uh, the, the more often we confess and repent our sins christians have historically been called confessors because we are quick to confess and turn from our sin and so if you walk out of here with a list this morning of things you need to go do you pro- you probably didn't hear this correctly because these are things that God wants to do in you the gospel is true you've been justified by grace through faith in Christ alone and the invitation for us is to turn and purge take a bath and put on new clothes today So as we, as we go into response time, I want to give you a, a passage of Scripture for us to just kind of meditate on. This is Psalm 139. This is a, pr- a prayer of David. And this is him sitting before the Lord, and this is what I want to invite us to do, is sit before the Lord for a few minutes. And he says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me, sinful way in me, grievous way in me, your, your translation might say, and then lead me in the everlasting way. So as we go into this response time, I just want to f- let that frame us up, that we want to come and we say, God, we want revival. We believe that the first ingredient of revival is us, us living into the identity that's true of us in the throne room of God if we're a Christian. And we need, we're asking that you would wind that back into our lives right now, change us through the gospel, change us as we confess our sin and repent and turn a different direction. So God, search me, know me. Is there anything in me that I don't see? Is there anything in me that I've been hiding? Lead me to the path of everlasting. So as we respond, we're gonna sing, we're gonna take communion, and we're gonna pray. We're gonna sing prayers of confession assurance if you're a Christian we're going to come forward and take communion and this act of communion if you've trusted Jesus with your whole life we invite you to come forward and dip the bread and the wine and remember that God doesn't remember our sins anymore the person that's holding us back right now is us and we can find assurance kind of comfort and confidence at this table. But if you're not a Christian, we actually ask that you, you not take this meal, not because we want to withhold something good from you, but we want something better for you, and that's taking Jesus himself. In fact, some of us in this room have, have, are on the, are teetering with following Jesus, or, or maybe you've, you've been away from church a long time, and God is stirring in you, and, and what you need is to trust Jesus and then we're gonna have a baptism. We're gonna do baptisms, not today, but maybe you need to be baptized and you need to obey Jesus in baptism. You need to come take the bath. You've been trying to put on all your new clothes like Jacob did without taking the bath first. And we we wanna invite you to come and take a bath and so you can come tell a prayer team member they're ready and eager. The third way we're gonna respond is through prayer is if you wanna talk to someone about following Jesus, talk to one of these prayer team members, grab a pastor, grab somebody that looks like they work here, Someone with a lanyard. Say, I want to follow Jesus. And then the the last way as we pray is we praise, praise the Psalm one thirty nine. Listen, I, I I was thinking and praying for you this morning, and I, the words deliverance and freedom were in my mind all morning. That I believe God wants to deliver and set free some people in this room, and the thing that's holding us back from that is you walking up here and being prayed for, and expressing help, needing help. And so let's, let's have a time of response. If you need to kneel or lay down or stand or whatever you need to do, this, there's freedom in here. You can do whatever you need to do. Let's respond. As we open the Bible, we believe that God speaks to us. The question is whether or not we're going to respond in, in obedience. So let's, let's be a church that responds. If you're able, would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray for us. Lord Jesus, we love you and we trust you. And we know that your intentions for us are really good, and we believe that the gospel's true, that we aren't saved by what we do. The gospel is done, not do. And so we invite you then in the safety net of our salvation to come and work in us. Would you create in us a holy people so that we can see revival in our years, as Habakkuk 3 says. So God, would you come? Would you meet us here, Holy Spirit? We entrust this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church family, let's respond.